Will you guys stand up and give Corey Russell, who's part of this house, a huge round of applause. We love this brother. By the way, we're going to have buckets in the back. If you want to bless Corey and Jake and the work that they do, the ministry that they have, we want to bless them. They are part of this family. So... Anyway, all right, yeah, if it's in the very back, oh, it's over there, praise God. I was looking for my Bible up here saying, I don't see it anymore, praise God. <laughs> Had a little warfare, but we got through it, praise God. <laughs> yeah, we had a blast. Uh, we got any men that were at the men's retreat? Yeah, I'll start up here, I'll get down there. Oh, where you at? Raise your hands. All right, praise God, handful of you. Man, we had a blast. Hey, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> there's a little inside joke there. My uh, sister-in-law and my, my wife were cleaning out our closet yesterday, and my sister-in-law ended up telling me on the phone, she goes, you're never allowed to buy another blue shirt. You've got like 40 in your closet, and I just rotate them. So uh, anyway, that's, I guess there's one of my blue shirts. <laughs> so anyway, that was the inside joke. It's deep. Um, um, we had a blast and, uh, you know, I've been coming here. I've been coming, I don't know, eight, nine years, it feels like. And it's been amazing. Lord meets us every year and he did the same last night and it was just absolutely beautiful. And like I said to the first service, ladies, we're sending, hopefully we're sending men back to you that are going to serve you like never before, that are going to pray like never before, that are going to be laying hands on the kids and everybody's going to be falling out and all they're going to do is singing the Holy Ghost and praying the Holy Ghost and anoint you with oil 10 times a day and dance around you. He's going to be nice. The greatest miracle, he's going to get nice and tender and cry a lot more. And if they don't, we have a little policy, a little money back guarantee. If they don't, we want you to forward all emails to Pastor Mike. If he's just acting funky, you just come after him and then Mike will get a hold of me and Jake and me and Jake will show up at your doors and we will confront you. And so, uh, we just want to come and serve in any way we can. So, all right, good. <laughs> all right, good. That was my joke. Um, moving along. Um, Hey, I want to, uh, I didn't, I was looking in the bottom of my suitcase when I was packing this morning to leave. And I was thinking, man, I brought books that didn't even bring them all weekend. Um, so I got a handful of books. I've written five books. And the one that I released in 2018 is called Inheritance. And uh, it's our family story through a really hard time and how God used the Bible to stabilize our hearts through a really difficult season. And I want to give a handful of these away. Is there anybody in here, you're going through a storm, you're going through something in your life and you're like, God, I need an anchor for the soul to make sense of a hard time. Is anybody in here? All right, we got somebody offering that for somebody else over here. So um, go ahead and give that to her. <laughs> you going through a hard time, hon? All right, go give it to him. Yeah, give that to him. Good. And uh, anybody else? Praise God. All right, come on. Good, good, good. Here you go. Bless you. You got it. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Well, good. Um, it's an honor to be with you guys. I, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Mike, let me know that you guys are in the middle of a series on worship and I just absolutely love it. I care deeply about it. And I feel like I've been swimming in worship for the last 20 years. I care deeply about it. And I believe that we're in the middle of a shift in the body of Christ and he's beginning to awaken worshipers. He's awakening worship. I, I was thinking about it, you know, Marcus and Rachel, I met them, you know, I don't know, 20 years ago, 19 years ago in December of 2000, we moved to Kansas City to be a part of the house of prayer. And, you know, they still look like they're 18 years old, but they were 18 years old then. They're, they don't change, but I have. But um, I was, but we, we've, we've traveled the earth. We've done day and night prayer in Kansas City. They've gone 20 years of day and night worship and prayer. And we've traveled the earth. We did 6 a.m.s for the first six years together. And we've traveled the earth, been in Korea, been in Europe, South America, all over the states. 
And I just want to come as someone who has traveled extensively over the last 15 to 20 years, around 30 weekends a year to say that worship is exploding in the nations. I want to say that to you. Worship, not just converts. It's one thing for have more numbers for evangelistic crusades, but we're beginning to see God is beginning to awaken leaders that are bringing the ark, just like King David. The first thing that King David did when he became king in Jerusalem, he goes, we've got to go find the ark and get the ark back in the middle because God's, uh, Psalm 22 says that God is enthroned in the praises of his people and that David understood the secret ark of attracting the kingdom of heaven is putting the ark and putting the presence at the center. And I want to say to you guys, it's erupting. It's erupting. It's erupting like a virus. You know, they say in 1980s, there were like 25 houses of prayer, day and night houses of prayer. They've done a recent uh, count to where there are tens of thousands of houses of prayer, praying churches, uh, ministries that are beginning to prioritize worship and prayer above every other ministry. I believe, amen. I believe that we're in the midst of altars being established back in our hearts, back in our homes, back in our schools, and back in our businesses. And we are going to see an explosion of evangelism that is going to break out. It's just the beginning, but it's only going to increase. I, I want to tell you that. Glory. You guys good? So I just want to say I've seen it, man. I've been in Singapore and watched hours of endless singing and worship and sacrifice. I've been in Brazil. I've been in Germany and Switzerland. Jake, who led worship, their whole family does whole tours through Europe as God's erupting it. And I just want to say to you that I believe that God is calling the rock to join the global song and to join the global worship movement. Because it's not just you in isolated Colorado, but that you're taking your place in this geographic location to join the global song to Jesus. We're in the middle of a shift in the body of Christ. The way that I believe that way that we understand church today is going to be dramatically different in a decade. And the Lord is beginning to release a great revelation and he's awakening us to worship. I want to look at a couple of verses on worship and I just want to share some thoughts that I got about it. Is that okay? Can you put Psalm twenty two twenty seven up here? This is what Psalm twenty two twenty seven. Yeah, go ahead. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nation shall worship before you. This is after the crucifixion of Jesus. This is the reward of his suffering. Look at Malachi 1.11. It says that from the rising of the sun, Malachi 1.11, that from the rising of the sun to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles and every place incense. Everybody say incense. incense. Say it like you mean it. Say incense. incense. Incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. He says, for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. This is what Malachi's prophesying because the days of Malachi were really intense. Malachi shows up to a priesthood that was completely in shambles. The, it, had, it had been brought down so low that the people were bringing blind offerings, lame offerings, half-hearted offerings, and they were bringing them before the priest saying, let's just give our leftovers to God. That was the spirit of the day were the leftovers. Malachi showed up to church and said, you know what? It would be better for you to shut the doors to this place than to keep kindling a fire on my altar in vain. He says, Israel, you've lost your priestly identity and your priestly calling, but I have an ace card up my sleeve and I am going to provoke you to jealousy by a global a worship and prayer movement in every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And he says, I want you to know that from the rising of the sun, which is around Fiji, to it's going down, which is around New Zealand, he says, in every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, you will know that there are remnants in those nations. 
because incense will begin to go forth in those nations and my name will be great among the whole nations of the earth. And I believe that there's an incense that he is wanting to release from the range, the, 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 the frontier range over here, the Colorado Springs, Castle Rock, Denver. There's a trifecta, these three cities. God's doing something in this region. It's a global song. Can you put Isaiah 42 verse 10 up here? I love Isaiah 42. Because Isaiah 42 talks about Jesus, the servant. And it's kind of laid out in three different ways. The first part of Isaiah 42 is that Jesus comes in his first coming. He comes meek. He comes lowly. He comes quiet. He dies on the cross. He resurrects from the grave. He ascends to the right hand of the Father. And he begins to enter into intercession for verse 10 to erupt in the earth. What I love is that Jesus comes in quiet till the church gets loud. And when the church gets loud, he's going to get loud. I want you to know that verse 10 is a whisper right now. But before Jesus returns, it's going to get loud. Sing to the Lord a new song. Everybody say new song. It's not new and that is new information. It's the old revelation that's become new again. His praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that's in it. You coastlands and you inhabitants of them. Next verse. He says this. He says, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kadar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Salah sing. That's historical and modern day Jordan and Saudi Arabia. Isaiah prophesies a day that in the heart of the Muslim world, there's going to be songs that erupt from the Muslim world to Jesus. I'm here to tell you right now, we're in the middle of the greatest revival in the Middle East right now, and it's only the beginning. And we are going to see in Mecca that there's going to be global singing. There's going to be singing from Mecca. There's going to be singing from Jordan, singing from the nations of the earth. Hallelujah. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Next verse. What's this going to do? Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. Next verse. What's this going to do to Jesus? It's going to awaken him. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. Next verse. I have held my peace a long time. I have been still and restrained myself. And now Jesus is about to compare what he's going to do to some of you ladies in here who have given birth to children. Who in here's had kids? Come on, ladies. Where you at? We've had four children, and those were intense moments. It wasn't, No, it was terrifying. I tried to get bathroom breaks in between contractions. And she goes, you're not going anywhere. The things I heard in that delivery room, I needed inner healing from. The things she said to me, I wasn't sensitive enough. And the things I was doing was making it worse. In my energy to make it better, it got worse. No, it's gut-wrenching. It's loud. It's ugly. It's screeching. Ah! And Jesus compares a woman in labor to how he's going to be as global worship and as singing begins to erupt in the earth. It's going to stir the travail of Jesus. It says, he goes, I've been still and restrained myself. Now I will cry like a woman in labor. I will pant and gasp at once. I want you to know that Jesus has been silent, relatively silent compared to the roar that is beginning to emerge right now. And we are about to see the release of justice, the release of the breakthrough of God in the nations of the earth like we've never seen. As he begins to openly confront and openly release his justice and his righteousness in the earth. Give me something to throw. I had to ask him, what are these? I didn't know if these were paddles for the river up here or something, man. <laughs> Look at what it says, next verse. 
I will lay waste the mountains and the hills. I will dry up their vegetation. I will make the rivers coastlands and I will dry up their pools, which means I'm going to open up a can of whoop and I'm coming. And I want you to know that there's something that happens in the heart. This is what the connection I want you to see in Isaiah 42. Something happens in Jesus when worship is awakened. It stirs his zeal for justice. Guys, I want you to know something right now that I believe we're in a shift. God is awakening worship. And you know it says, we're going to get to this later. In John 4, it says that the Father is seeking worshipers in spirit and truth. Do you know that worship is a response? Do you know that? Do you know that you worship because you've seen something? You've seen someone. And worship is the response to who you've seen. And we call you to worship more, give more, evangelize more, and serve more without calling you to see more. The core issue is a restoration of the revelation of God. We need an enlarged view, a right view of who he is, of his glory, of his majesty, of his power, of his goodness, and of his love. We need a magnifying of God in our souls. We need a revelation of his beautiful son and the worth of Jesus. And when that hits you, I promise you, it worship will erupt on the inside of you. Worship is a response. We go after trying to produce responses without getting you to see. Michael just said, uh, Pastor Mike just said that that uh, it's about when those uh, angels see, they declare, and then elders worship. Worship is agreement with who God is. Prayer is agreement with what God said he wants to do. I want to tell you something right now that I believe that the revelation of the knowledge of God is coming to the church. The very first verse of your Bible is going to blow your mind because it says in the beginning was God. And you're going to have to jump off the pages of Genesis 1 to go on the search of the beginning of God's days. And what's going to happen is you're going to jump off the page and you're going to go on a search of when he began. And you're going to keep going and going and going until you hit a wall and the wall is called out of numbers. And then a revelation is going to hit you that the God we worship, the God we talk about, the God we sing about, and we do all of our stuff in the name of is uncreated. He's always been. There's never been a time that he's not been. He's always been. And he is limitless in his power. He's an everlasting treasure house of all goodness, love, power, and righteousness. He's an inexhaustible treasure house. Do you know why our worship's small? It's because your view of God is small. I believe that God is ripping the, do I have to, out of the church. And he's putting back in its place the great I get to. Do I have to give to one more person? Do I got to pray one more prayer? Do I got one more service? He's ripping the, I have to, and he's putting forth, I get to. What a revelation that you get to, that God of glory, that the God of eternity, the God of indescribable beauty and glory and majesty and power and wisdom, insurmountable glory has come so close to us in the person of Jesus Christ. It releases, I get to. Oh, we need the spirit of revelation. The God who has Genesis 1 on his resume. The God who hung the earth on nothing. The God, I love the book of Job. You ever read the book of Job? Two of you. Good. We ain't receiving Job. (laughs) That's Old Testament stuff. Praise God. I've been delivered. How does God, what happens to that suffering man? It's 36 chapters of good brothers and sisters giving their best advice just to find it ain't nothing y'all don't know nothing 
And then God shows up in a tornado. And he asks a suffering man a hundred questions with the same answer. And here's the pop quiz. Here's the cheat sheet. The answer is no. Job, were you there when I did Genesis 1? Did you hang the earth on nothing? Did you tell proud ways that can come this far and no more? Okay, let's not talk about Genesis 1. Let's talk about constellations. Do you know about Big Bear, Little Bear, Orion, and all her little cubs? Do you know about galaxies out there? No. Do you know about little animals in the bottom of the ocean? And do you know all their names and do you play with them? No. Do you send lightning in the middle of the desert just because? No. Do you know everything in the whole wide world and you're upholding it? Why is God asking a suffering man a hundred questions with the same answer? Because he's saying, Job, if I'm doing this, I'm upholding that and taking care of the smallest, most minutest details of creation then surely I know how to take you, the crowning jewel of my creation, and bring you forth into the fullness of your destiny with perfect wisdom and perfect power. Psalm 113 says that God humbles himself to behold the things that are in the universe. We need a revelation of the majesty of God, the greatness of God, the awesomeness of God. That's our issue. That's the issue with the church. That's our issue in our lives. He's become way too small in our eyes. Hallelujah. But he's not intimidated. The father has a great ace card up his sleeve and it's called global spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's going to break blindness off the church and we're going to begin to see Jesus like we've never seen Jesus. We're going to begin to behold him in all of his glory and his majesty and his power. And we're going to fall madly in love with Jesus Christ. And the worth of that man is going to drive out every other lover. It's going to drive out every other thing. And we're going to fall in love with him. And we're going to get delivered from the great idol. And the idol being church and Christianity is about me. I'm on the throne and Jesus is my professional butler who's called to make me happy. I'm here to tell you right now, he is delivering you from you. It ain't about you. It has nothing to do with you. Some of you sitting here on the week, I don't like that song. Well, good, it ain't for you. I don't like that. I ain't getting anything from that. Man, good, it ain't for you. I don't like the way they do that. It ain't for you. It's not about you. It never was about you. It's about this beautiful God, this beautiful man that we get to worship and adore. And do you know worship is not mostly about music? Worship isn't mostly about music. We worship him in our time, in our money, in our sacrifice. Do you know the first time that worship is spoken of in the word of God? Can you put Genesis 22 up here? Genesis 22. I love it. Here's the first time you see the word worship in scripture. It came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. Now time out, keep that there. What would happen if you were in your quiet time tomorrow morning and you heard this? You go, I rebuke that devil, God. God showed up to Abraham's quiet time and said, you know that son y'all been waiting for for a long time? You know that promise that I said and y'all tried the Ishmael thing, it screwed up. And I told you that through you and through your seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed and how you would have more descendants than the stars in the sky. And yet, and that through Isaac, all of this will be fulfilled. You remember that? I want you to take the most valuable thing to you in the whole wide world. And I want you to sacrifice it to me. Go ahead and go to the next verse. Abraham rose early. He took two young men. He took the wood. He took Isaac. 
He went to the place that God told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place so far off. That's so interesting. I've never seen the third day like that before. Do you know in Hebrews 11, it says that Abraham concluded that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. Do you know that? I've never seen the third day before. We just celebrated Easter. While it's on your mind, could it be something? What was Abraham seeing? I'll just throw that out there for you. Go to the next verse. Abraham, now here it is. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. You want to know what worship looks like? I doubt Jake Hamilton was in the background playing his guitar when Abraham was walking up that mountain. I doubt there was a piano, a nice instrumental in the background. It was a gut-wrenching, tear-streaming. Think about walking up there with your son, the tears streaming. I take your son, your only son whom you love, which means this, God was requiring the most vulnerable and valuable thing to Abraham, his son, saying, I want it. I want to tell you what worship looks like when the most painful, valuable, and vulnerable areas of your life, God says, I want that. And that's where we worship him. Make no mistake about it. Worship is sacrifice. Worship is sacrifice. It's ugly. It's messy. It's bloody. It ain't no nice little worship service in a room. It's when you're bleeding and you're sweating and you know what God's requiring and you're doing it right for a second. Then you lose it. Then you get it. Then you lose it. Then you get it. And then you give it. That's what worship looks like. See, I want you to understand there's a difference between worship and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is thank you, God, for my shoes. Thank you for my clothes. Thank you for my house, my car, my family, my health. Worship's different. Worship is God. I'm going to worship you no matter what I have. Whether I have a lot or I have nothing. Whether I have my spouse yet or I don't. Whether I have this situation, maybe I don't have this. Worship is transcends how good things are or how bad things are. I need you to hear this. The devil will blind your mind from this. This is the core because we worship when it feels right or when God is doing things the way we see him do it, should do it. You're not hearing this. Nothing strikes at the heart of a humanistic gospel like this. Worship is when ain't nothing going good. Worship is when it's hardest and it's the most difficult and it's the hardest. And God's saying, can you worship me now? Can you worship me now? Can you give to me now in the most valuable and vulnerable and precious and painful places of your life? Can you give me? Can you adore me? Can you worship me? And there may or may not be music in the background. Some of you are worshiping when you don't have hardly any money to your name and you're putting that tithe back in. You're putting that offering into somebody else and you know, God, I don't know where the rest is going to come from, but God, I give it. I give it. <laughs> it's sacrifice. It's ugly. I want to call you to worship him in the hard places. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Worship him in the, in the hard places. Matthew 15, we have a woman with a demonized daughter. She's ran after Jesus. Jesus ain't responding to her. And then in Matthew 15, she falls at his feet and she worships him. I love that phrase. And she said, Lord, help. I think of Mary of Bethany. We we're talking about the box breaker earlier. Worship is when you break boxes and when you give extravagantly and all the brothers and sisters at church call it stupid, foolish, and wasteful. See, but worship is a response. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you good? I got some other good notes on this. Let me read a couple of other things to you. Do you know that God has a weak spot? <laughs> I like to call it God's love language. 
You know, my love language is touch and words of affirmation from my wife. Everybody coming up hugging me and touching me and all that. But, <laughs> but from the right person at the right time and in the right place. <laughs> place, whatever. <laughs> it will open my heart and it will release things from me that I otherwise wouldn't give. You know what God's love language is? Worship. Worship moves God. It moves him. It makes him vulnerable and he simply does things for worshipers that he doesn't do for everybody else. If I had time, I'd walk you through 2 Samuel 7. I love David. You know why we love David? Because he got all of his promises. And he was saying, why am I in this fat house out here and God's out there in a tent? I want God to have a house. King Nathan, the prophet said, do what's in your heart, king. You're the king. Lord shows up to Nathan that night in a dream and said, can you tell David, I've never asked anybody to ever give me a house. I've always moved around in a tent. Where have I ever asked anybody to give me something like this? He said, I want you to tell David, He's not going to build me a house, but I'm going to build him a house. And his throne will live forever. How? His throne will live forever. I believe it's almost like, where'd you get this? Why are you even thinking this way? Of something more you can give me after all your promises are fulfilled. Can you go ahead and turn with me to John 4. I just want to look at the woman at the well. When I say worship, usually the first verse that will come to your mind is worship in spirit and in truth. Amen? Usually. You're like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, he's so beautiful, isn't he? Is he lovely to you? Is he lovely to you? Is he valuable to you? It's about his worth being restored. Because I want to tell you, we can scream at you every week telling you to give more, serve more, love more, worship more. And it won't ever touch it. You can, you can do some you know, dog and pony shows for people. You can do it for a second. But do you want to do it for a long time? It needs, you need a revelation of the worth of who you're worshiping. You need a revelation of him. A whole generation has settled it that if they don't get one of these, their lives are significantly lessened. Therefore, because they've already settled that it's valuable, they will wait in line for days, spend four to $500 for it, and will do everything they can to have this because they've got to have it. When you settle the value, the other stuff are byproducts. And I love John 4 because we see snapshots of worship. Let's look right here at John 4 verse 1. Hallelujah. Jesus, and well, first off, I could preach off of this. Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus baptized more, that made and baptized more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. You know what it means? Jesus heard report that everybody was saying, hey, Jesus is baptizing more people than John. And because it wasn't John's time to go away, you know what Jesus did in his kindness? He left the region. <laughs> he said, all right, I'll, I'll get out of your hair. I'll build a church down the road. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Now here it is. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Here's the phrase right here that I want you to get. He needed. Everybody say needed. needed. Here's the part about the father seeking those who will worship him in spirit and truth. He needed to go through Samaria. Now to the, just the reading of the scripture, it wouldn't mean much. But do you know that ancient Jews, they had no dealings with Samaritans and Samaria was literally right in between the south and the north. And so Jews would always go around Samaria because the Samaritans were inbreds. They were just kind of jacked up weird people. Gentiles, you kind of stay away from that side of the railroad tracks. 
and Jews would always go around Samaritans, but Jesus is making a point saying, I need, I am compelled. I'm in alignment with the father and the father is seeking. The father is looking for, and I have a a divine appointment in the middle of Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. The very mention of the hour is speaking that it was a specific time of the day when Jesus knew that he would meet the specific girl that he was about to meet. The women that were married and that had good repute, they would come out in the mornings. But in the sixth hour, it was in the heat of the day. It was in the intensity of the day and the women of ill repute and other kind of women would come to get their water at that hour. And so Jesus is waiting there. He gets there early, he's weary, he's tired, and he's waiting because the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. The very fact of this woman coming at the sixth hour is speaking of a place of humiliation and vulnerability as she's having to walk through the city. Everyone knows who she is and she's gonna have to get her water again and go through the same thing every day. A woman of Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Keep going. Keep going. The woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me? A Samaritan woman, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. Come on. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Here's the point. I'm just going to break this down for you. He shows up. To the woman's place of greatest humiliation, vulnerability, and he looks her square in the eyes and says, I want something from you. And I'm not going to let you off the hook. I want you to give me a drink. And what Jesus is asking for is not natural water. He is asking her, I want your worship. I want something that only you can give me. I want your worship. How do I know that? Because she said, why are you asking me that? And Jesus said, if you knew who I am, and if you knew what I have, when I said, give me a drink, you would have responded, give me a drink. Give me living water so that I can give you the drink you're wanting. Worship is a response to what you've received. Worship is a response. I just want to say to you right now, listen, everybody wake up. I don't want want you to check out with me. Look at me. The days of us doing church for you are over. I just want to say it to you. The days of us do, I know we clap. The days of us building this whole thing around making you happy, it's over. There's a new seeker-friendly movement going on. And it's called, we're going to start being friendly to the greatest seeker that has ever been. His name is Abba. His name is Jesus. And he is seeking worshipers in spirit and truth. It's not about you. And we are getting delivered from this humanistic selfishness, this self-idolatry about how God makes our life better. You find your true purpose and your true fulfillment as you get delivered from yourself and you get lost in him. And that is the place of true purpose, true fulfillment, true source, and true life is when you say, when God comes to you and says, I want your worship. But this is a humiliating place. This is a vulnerable place. Give me a drink. Well, Jesus, give me a drink so I can give you the drink you're looking for. 
He begin, what he does, he's going to do something with this girl is he's going to awaken spirit and truth, worship in spirit and truth. And he first has to deliver her from thinking. He says, honey, you keep coming every day to this well and you keep coming back and you got to come back every day to get water because you're thirsty every day. There are some of you in this room who keep running to broken cisterns, broken wells. It might be a relationship. It might be Netflix. It might be pornography. It might be alcohol. It might be pain pills. It might be this. It might be that. But we keep running to satisfy something deep in our hearts. To answer a deep ache on the inside of us. And we keep going every day. And it's not answering the hole in our hearts. We'll worship everything. We'll worship our kids. We'll worship our jobs. We'll worship our money. We'll worship worship. We'll worship everything else. And God's saying, give me a drink. Give me a drink. He says, if you knew who I am, what I have, you'd ask me, give me living water. He goes, honey, I have living water. Keep going to the next one. Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Everybody say, the well's deep. That well on the inside of you is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father? Next verse. Next verse. Jesus answered, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. He said, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Next verse. Here is the phrase. Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. I'm sick of coming to the same old places. I'm sick of coming to the same old people. I'm sick of coming to the same old things looking for them to fill a hole in my heart that no human, no thing, no substance can touch on the inside of me. Give me this water. I want the Holy Ghost. I want the Holy Spirit. This is more than salvation. This is an ongoing filling of the Holy Ghost where he becomes in you a limitless supply that you draw from and receive from and receive from because you can't give him what you haven't received. Here's the phrase, and the Lord's got to bring you to this place. And until you can enjoy running to your well every day, until you get here, Jesus says, good, now that I've awakened spiritual worship, let's deal with truth. Look at the next phrase. Go call your husband and come here. Jesus said to her, you have well set. You have well set. You have well said that I have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband and that you truly spoke. Jesus is now addressing her gaping well. You're running for men to fill a hole in your heart. You think men is going to answer it. You've had five husbands, honey. And you're right. You're not married. You're in between guys and you're living with a guy. Do you understand what happens when the eyes of Jesus looks her in the face saying, I love you, but we're going to deal with this man issue. And I'm the seventh man in your story. And I am the fulfiller of all your dreams. This is what worship and truth looks like when God puts his finger on the deep well that you keep running to. And he says, I need you to see it in the face for what it is. And she keeps deflecting. She says, I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right. He just keeps coming after her. You've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband and that you truly spoke. Next verse. The woman, I love this. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you got a little something on your life. (laughs) And then she's going to shift it now to worship. Isn't this interesting that she defines worship and Jesus is going to use her deflecting because she just keeps backing away. You ever had a man get this much into your business? You ever had anybody with such compassion, tenderness, and yet truth lock in on the core epidemic of your soul? 
She's deflecting. She don't know what to do with such vulnerability and honesty and interrogation, yet such compassion and tenderness. Next verse. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. She's going to define this is about worship. Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Saying, y'all have made it all about places. You worship what you don't know. We know what we worship, salvations of the Jews. Next verse. But the hour is coming. And now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Who wants to catch his gaze? No, I'm serious. He's scanning the earth right now. And I'm, I, I'm happy. I'm happy that people are in church than in other places. But he's looking in thousands, hundreds of thousands of buildings across this nation today as people are in services. And how many women at the well are catching his gaze? I want to be a life and a heart that catches the gaze of Jesus. I want to touch things in his heart. It says true worshipers worship him in spirit and in truth. You know what true worship looks like? When there's not a gap between what we see and what God sees on the inside of you. When you don't have two lives. But that when your inside and your outside become congruent, that's what moves heaven. And you know what it takes? It takes a painful probing and a painful dealing when the ugly inside comes out of the ugly outside and the two become one. And I'll tell you, that moves God a lot more than a bunch of religious fakery. I got it all together, praise God. Addicted to your pornography, addicted to your abuse. All your stuff on the inside, boredom on the inside, fantasies on the inside. And we just live like it's all nice. You know what I love about Jesus? He's going to give us the picture of worshiper. Not from a Pharisee down the road. Right here. And you're about to see something crazy about the power of worship. The Father is seeking. Whoever talks about the seeking God. The seeking God is seeking something. He's seeking for a heart. 2 Chronicles 69 says, The eyes of the Lord searches to and fro, looking for a heart who's loyal. And these are the Father he's seeking. Look at the next verse. This is amazing. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The must must be restored, which means this. You worship on his terms, not yours. You worship on his terms. You're not giving him anything with a little 45 minutes. Hallelujah. Tithe, bless you. I'll be back here next week. Check it off my list. Yes. Don't need it. Don't please God. I want to please him. I want to please him. I want to give my heart. I want to give my soul. I want to connect with the community of saints and go somewhere to God where the ceiling gets lifted and I touch him and apprehend him that overflows into worship for the rest of my week. I'm not paying him off. He's not insecure. He's not some egomaniac. You need to, so I need this. Pay your dues. I don't want to, but I'll do it. Here's a half-hearted offering. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. I love the next verse. Next verse. Woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. It's almost like she's driving the conversation. And Jesus is just blowing her mind with discoveries as she leads the conversation. He's so kind. She comes up with worship. He goes, okay, I'll tell you about worship. And then she starts talking about Messiah. I know that Messiah's coming. Who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Get your seatbelt on for the next verse, please. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. No, no, go back. 
Do you know in the previous chapter, a religious man by the name of Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. It would be like the Pope showing up to Jesus. High religious acumen, intelligent, has all the pedigree, has all of it. And do you know, Jesus wouldn't give him anything. Jesus wouldn't give him anything, didn't talk about nothing. And yet this little girl through the door of worship got Jesus to identify with his mouth. He doesn't do this a lot. A lot of people don't get this from Jesus. Jesus with his own mouth said, I who speak to you, I am the Messiah. You know what that shares with us? Worship opens the door for revelation. Worship opens the door for revelation. The worshiping heart gets stuff from Jesus nobody else does. You get secrets from Jesus. I love it. John 13. One of my favorite phrases, John the beloved. What's he doing? Leaning back on Jesus's chest. And Jesus says, one of you are going to betray me tonight. Peter looks at him and says, ask him. John puts his head up near Jesus and said, Jesus, who is it? He goes, it's the one who I dip the bread and give it to. That's the one who will betray me. The leaning heart, the worshiping heart is the heart that gets revelation like nobody else. I who speak to you am he. Look at the next verse. At this point, the disciples came back. They're just coming back and they go, why are you talking to the woman? He goes, you ain't on nothing. Go to the next verse. I love it. He keeps saying the woman. Now, this is where it gets really good. Because worship always spills over. Worship spills over into evangelism. The woman then left her water pot. She went her way into the city. And I love this. She said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? You know what I love about this? He's going to take a woman who had been with a bunch of men, use her and fill her heart with the revelation of himself, and then commissions her as an evangelist to men about another man she's met. Who leads like this man? Come see a man. I can't think of Christianity and evangelism in a better phrase than that. Here's my question. Have you seen the man? Because you can't tell others to see a man if you haven't seen the man. I believe we're, and actually if I had time, John 4 is actually, it's Malachi 1.11. It's a global Gentile worship movement that's going to release the revelation of Jesus in the nations. Because Jesus is going to go to this Gentile. I want to say in closing here, I know it's already getting late and I've got to get to the airport. I want to call you into looking at him like you've never looked at him. I want to call you tomorrow morning with music or without, whatever helps you. I want you to open up your Bible and go on the search and the discovery of who God is. I want you to read verses about who God is and what God says about himself. And that you take those very verses where God talks about himself and you speak them back to him. I want you to behold the cross and stare at the man bleeding on the cross I want you to see the Revelation 4 and Revelation 5 God until you get delivered from your boredom. I want to ask that God would fill us. And I feel the resistance in here because a lot of us are just checking it off today. And bless you, you have that. You, 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 you can dictate it. What I love about John 4 is she dictated the conversation, but he met her based on her steering it. Which means this, what do you want?
Hallelujah. I believe he wants to raise up Mary of Bethany's who break boxes. Some of you have so many religious boxes you engage with God through. And I believe he's wanting to break your boxes. And I promise you when boxes start breaking, worship starts ascending. And most of us have our box of how this thing's going to work. And you, that will be your experience with God based on your box. But I believe he's releasing a revelation of God that's breaking our boxes. And hear me. Men and women. He's not intimidated by all those broken sisters you keep running to. And he will show up right in the middle of the most painful, vulnerable places. And he'll want your worship there. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let's stand. Let's just stand. Thank you, Jesus. I believe with all my heart that God is calling the rock to be an apostolic center for this region. I believe that it's going to be a place to where I I spoke this in the first service. I'm going to speak it again. When I think of Pastor Mike and I think of Pastor Christy, one word comes to my mind and it's the word purity. Guys, I, I travel the earth I, I, and see a lot of people. I want you to know that when I see these two, your pastors, I believe that God's called them here to, for the region and for the nation and for the church and the earth. I believe that there is a restoration of purity. He's wanting to restore pure worship, a pure offering. And you know what releases purity? When the inside and the outside become one. Hallelujah. Good. Let's just ask him right now. I want you to open up your hand. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to, I'm going to go. I bless you. I bless you, I bless you, I bless you. Come on, come on, come on. Just play, just play. Father, I ask you right now for the spirit. Is there anybody in here who doesn't know Jesus? You don't know him as a real person. As someone who's really saved you from your sins. Is there anybody in here? Wave your hand at me. I don't want to just talk about this stuff. Anybody, you don't know him. And you'll know you don't know him because you're uncomfortable right now. You grab a leader if you don't. Father, I just pray right now for people all across this room. For the revelation of the the beauty of God. I pray for the revelation of the knowledge of God. Father, I pray right now that you would shine the light of who you are upon our hearts. Some of you, the Lord's calling you to sacrifice in your painful places and you're waiting until things get better before you worship him. But the Lord will many times call you to worship when it hasn't broken through yet. I'm thinking about even Isaiah 54. There might even be some barren women in here. Isaiah 54 says, sing, O barren woman. Some of you are in pain saying, God, when will you? And the Lord says, I want you to worship me before and I will open up your womb. I want you to worship me. I want you to worship me in your pain. Worship me and give me that sacrifice. Father, I pray right now that you would release an eruption of worship in this house. That we would tie our lives to the altar. And that we would worship you in the most painful areas of our life. Father, I pray right now, fill the rock with your glory. We just thank you. Is there anybody in here you'd like to pray today and you feel like God's calling you? 
whether one of these points touched you and you want prayer today, I want to invite you up here right now. I want to pray for you. Come on up here. Yeah, just come make a line across here. Hallelujah. Special, special, special. Special, special, special. Who wants to catch his gaze? Anybody? If you're good, then he's good. What I love about Jesus is he termed that woman running after all those men as thirst. (laughs) Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we're going to worship it. We're going to worship. We're going to worship you, Jesus. We're going to worship you, Jesus. Oh, we're going to worship you, Jesus. Play a song, play a song. Come on, lift your hands to him all over the room. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together.